do have emergency action plans, which have always been in place, and there is a specific pandemic plan. Did we ever think that we would need it? Well, now is the time that we need it. <laughs> this is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to help us make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank. Diane Kibben has spent her career in healthcare. She had been in the director of operations role for about three months in 2020 when Ocean View at Falmouth, which is a senior residential living facility, experienced one of the first COVID outbreaks in Maine. Diane had to work quickly with all of her teams to ensure that they were communicating with the Maine CDC, implementing recommendations, and continuing to keep their at-risk population safe. Diane shares what it was like to face the unknown, how she had faith in her team to execute their plan, and what she learned from this highly unusual experience. Let's talk to Diane. Welcome, Diane. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. So can you give us a little bit of your background, kind of where you're from, where you went to school? Oh, sure, sure. So I'm a native Mainer. I grew up in the Augusta area and I stayed here for secondary ed- education. I got my nursing degree at the University of Southern Maine. They have an excellent nursing program there. I, I did do some traveling, but found myself back near family and just our beautiful state. So you did work as a travel nurse. Where, where did you go? Yes. So I was an avid snowboarder. So I was looking to go to mountainous states. (laughs) So primarily I was able to work in the Lake Tahoe area, but I did do a stint in Madison, Wisconsin, which was, which was wonderful. Very nice people in the Midwest and also a stint in San Diego and outside of San Francisco. Oh, perfect. And so did anything particular bring you back to Maine or just your desire to be back closer to family? I always returned to Maine for spring, summer, and fall. So I never wanted to miss those seasons. So really what stopped me from travel nursing was the the drives. I, I'm a dog owner, always have had dogs. And so I had to drive. And it was just a, a long travel. <laughs> So when you were sort of doing that travel nursing or working here during the, the other three seasons, were, what kind of nursing were you doing? Was it resident care or what kind of nursing were you doing? Sure. So hospital-based acute care settings, usually. So I would work either in Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. So I would be relatively local and close to home. When did you come to Ocean View? So I actually started at Ocean View way back in 2005 as a per diem nurse. And that's when I discovered the community as a whole. And through my years of nursing, I had never experienced working in assisted living and or a retirement community as a whole. It was it was something that I had just recently moved on from acute care, hospital-based nursing to an 
a health coaching position. So this was working for a, a company called Health Dialogue that partnered with insurance companies and we offered health coaching services. And so I was a little fearful of sitting at a desk for 40 hours a week. So I I, I worked there part-time and then did nursing part-time, hands-on nursing part-time as well. I returned to Ocean View in 2012. You know, I had since left that, that position in that company, although I'm very thankful because it positioned me very well and provided me with the leadership skills and to be able to apply for the director of assisted living position at Ocean View. And so I began my career here as the director of assisted living in 2012. What was the change like for you from moving from that direct care into that sort of more of an operations role? Well, so it it wasn't a big leap because with Health Dialogue, I had a similar responsibilities. I was overseeing, I began as a health coach, but I was quickly promoted into a community leader, which then I had a team of health coaches. So I had 12 to 15 nurses that I was overseeing, supervising, encouraging, and helping to develop. And I also oversaw an expansion of, of that that building. We went from we doubled our work staff and increased our office capacity as well. So it was it was a smooth transition in that way. And in many respects, it sort of got me back into resident facing position, if you will, versus just telephonic and working through through my team. So it was a nice return home to be able to interact with residents on the daily and, you know, really helping them live life to the fullest versus dealing with an acute illness or chronic at really an impactful point. Sure. And maybe for our listeners who may not be familiar with what Ocean View is, can you give us a little bit of a an overview of kind of the services that you provide, the scope of how large the facility is, anything like that? Yes, absolutely. So we are a full-service continuum of care community. In t- total, we have probably about 375 residents on the Ocean View campus. So Ocean View has a sister community, Cumberland Crossing, that is currently at around 31 households. So we are rather expansive as an entire community. We have apartments, we have cottages, and Cumberland Crossing is primarily cottages as well. And then within our community, we have two assisted living buildings. We have our traditional Traditional assisted living building, Salmouth House, that has around 50 apartments, and then Legacy Memory Care has around 30 apartments. So people often think that we are strictly assisted living, but we, we truly are a vital, active, independent community where residents come and they can partake in as many or as few services as they so desire. But what we do have is we have opportunities for them to. Um, you know, have transportation. So whether that be through scheduled shopping trips and other outings and activities, or even just private, private transportation via car service to appointments and any, any other things that they need. So it sounds like you offer a full breadth of services for, to your point, as they age, kind of the transitions that your residents will be going through. And so you were about eight years in to your career with Ocean View when you moved into the director of operations role. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And so what was that change in role like moving from kind of director of assistant living to the director of operations? 
Right, right. So, you know, that was a trajectory that my predecessor had also that that path was was hers as well. So I was fortunate to have so many years to work alongside her. And, you know, I think in the back of her mind, she was always grooming me for this position. And then I was also fortunate enough to be able to have a, a chunk of time to work with her. Initially, I I began in December of 2020, and the initial plan was for me to work alongside with her until the end of month. And then, of course, the pandemic <laughs> threw a wrench in all of our plans. Sure. The world. So, so it sounds like you kind of had been transitioning into that new role for only about three months when really, as we all remember, March of 2020, kind of we started hearing these rumors of this COVID thing that was happening. So in your role as the director of operations, kind of what do you or what does Ocean View do initially when you realize kind of COVID's going to be a thing? We have obviously a large at-risk community here. What what do you do? What how do you even approach this? You know, it's interesting because we've been in the pandemic so very long. I really didn't have to look back through my notes. And, you know, we, we were preparing even before. I mean, we began preparing when, as soon as we heard of the first case in the U.S. So we were meeting with the town of Falmouth's EMS officials, which we have a very good relationship with. We, we always have. And so we began meeting with them. We had them actually attend a resident council meeting so that they could talk to and reassure our residents of the steps that they were taking. And then we were also putting into place travel restrictions for our staff in, in order to make sure that, you know, if our staff were traveling internationally, they were having a period of quarantine before they could come back to work and such. So we, we were making preparations before, well before it hit the state of Maine. And I guess I'm curious sort of how you know what those preparations are. Again, you're sort of new into this director of operations role. You're, you're sort of working on somebody else who's going to be retiring at the same time. Like, there's no playbook for handling a global pandemic. How do you even know where to start? Right, right. You know, how we manage is essentially we do have emergency action plans, which have always been in place. And there is a specific pandemic plan. Did we ever think that we would need it? Well, now is the time that we need it. <laughs> you know, that experience in being a nurse, being the director, having that familiarity with not only our, our emergency action plan, but also our infection control policies and protocols and, you know, having that experience, you know, in, in acute care. And then both of us being registered nurses. So again, really having a good understanding of, you know, personal protective equipment and, and such. That was a huge, huge help. Uh, outside of that, our team is really strong and communication is something that really is integral, making sure that we have modalities to keep people informed of, you know, activities and changes. So those pathways were already really well-worn. So as soon as we sort of instituted reaching out to all of our leaders and getting them to, you know, we were immediately on site. I think it all happened on a Sunday. You know, we we had a team to really just start disseminating that information. You know, we we communicate via 
paper memos, delivery of the old-fashioned way, emails as well. We have our website and a portal for family members because, of course, they were equally as concerned. So thankfully, we had all of these strategies in place before. So that was hugely, hugely beneficial. So it sounds like there actually is a playbook for handling a global pandemic that I wasn't aware of. No, it really, it really shined a light on, you know, post, it really shined a light on how much we need to ensure that we are continually training and and reviewing and, you know, making sure all of our, you know, is fully trained on, on the emergency action plan and, and knows what to do when, and even residents' preparedness, they, they want to know as well. So, Sure. So then you've kind of taken all these protective measures, you've met with the town, you're really trying to do as best as you can to be proactive, but then the Saturday comes when you get a call that you all have a, a positive case there at Oceanview. Can you tell me kind of what what that was, what are the acute issues that need to be addressed? Who do you need to communicate with? Kind of walk us through that. So, you know, the immediate response was to, you know, get in touch with the, the CDC and the main CDC was an incredible resource for us. I, I say it was a blessing and a curse for us to be one of the first cases in Maine. It was a curse because of, you know, the, the attention and the negative press that we received. However, it was a blessing because it gave us a direct line to the CDC before things really got out of hand. And, and you know, we had the experts. I literally had Dr. Shaw deliver PPE to me on a Sunday. <laughs> And wow, that was, you know, just so impressive that, you know, he took the time to do that. And it's a, it's an incredible statement about him as a person. Sure. So, so essentially it was, you know, seeking out their guidance and then notifying everyone. And, and it was a very scary time because so little was known. So, you know, essentially we, we just encouraged everybody to really just stay, stay put as much as possible. We'll deliver your mail. We'll see that you get meals, you know, please, except for, you know, going out for walks and, and things, you know, please let us, let us do anything for you that, that just sort of keeps you safe and, and in your, in your apartment till we get a handle on things. So again, all of those communication methods helped and people were really receptive. So that's one benefit of this community in particular is, you know, the residents really care about one another and are, are all willing to do the right thing. And really there was with that, with all of our protocols that we've had to put in place over this past, you know, the past two and a half years now, they have been supportive, maybe not always happy, but supportive <laughs> of that. Interestingly enough, in the beginning, you know, our, our wellness nurses, of course, were the ones that were exposed to the people. So they were out of work on isolation or quarantine rather for, you know, being close contact. And so they were at least able to work from home, making calls, making contact with residents to make sure that they were doing okay and checking in. But, you know, also very hard for them because as nurses, we want to do, we want to help, we want to be present. And um, it just was a very different way of, of being able to stay in touch. Sure. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk with Diane a little bit more about sort of what those next steps were after determining that positive case. We'll be right back. 
This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it. A story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. Our relationships became even stronger with with our our resources in the community, the town of Salmas, Salmas Fire EMS, and also you know working working closely with our vendors to give them the tools that they needed to stay safe. So we are back talking with Diane Kibben from Ocean View about their first positive cases, one of the first COVID outbreaks in the state of Maine, and what they did to make sure that both their retirement community and also their nursing staff were protected and to the best of their ability kept safe. Diane, you were talking about a lot of the logistical things you had to do, like delivering mail or various things to sort of keep people distanced and and not in in contact with each other. So it, it sounds like those were sort of the the immediate steps that needed done quickly. After that, I'm imagining there must be, you know, calls that you all are fielding from concerned family member folks within your own community there that kind of had high emotions. How are you dealing with those? As you can imagine, with, you know, 350 plus residents on campus, we have, you know, multiply that with family members and other concerned parties, vendors, you know, that visit our campus. We we absolutely had numerous calls. I think the most striking call was a, a trash company that didn't want to pick up our trash. And so even, you know, education beyond our own our own internal community had to be done, you know, to to reassure and, you know, let them know that, you know, they all need to set their own or calls up to be able to continue to do business. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, I think our, our relationships became even stronger with, with our, our resources in the community, the town of Salmas, Salmas Fire EMS, and also, you know, working, working closely with our vendors to give them the tools that they needed to stay safe. And, you know, we always tended to... You know, once once we had a handle on things, once once the CDC did encourage everyone to wear a mask to put even stricter protocols in place, because we do have such a vulnerable population, and everyone was really understanding of that. So, you know, with family members, I really think that because we were able to extinguish the initial outbreak so quickly, and because we did such a good job with communication throughout that, we were completely transparent. We notified, you know, anyone the day we had a case that they felt comfortable. Even even our prospects were were impressed after the fact at, at how quickly we were able to gain control and then continue to, you know, have have no cases to to very few cases over a period of time, so that was that was really really a feather in our cap to 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 be able to do that. And how many people were involved in the initial outbreak? You know, I the numbers elude me now. You know, it was it was maybe greater than a handful under under twenty, but greater than a handful. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I assume, you know, being a healthcare provider, obviously you all have a better understanding of how to handle the information that at that point was really evolving daily. And so I'm, I'm curious to understand kind of what was that process like working with public health officials? You talked about Dr. Shaw coming to your facility and dropping off protective equipment. You were gathering information from the CDC and sharing with them kind of what you were doing with your facility. So I'm just curious kind of what that process was like working with all of those various agencies. Sure, sure. Yeah, initially we had daily calls with them. So they were answering any questions that came up. And that was really reassuring, you know, for us to be able to relay back to our staff, to our residents, to our family members, that we had that direct line with them. And and it, it was reassuring to us as well, because, you know, we were, we had the latest and greatest. Essentially, I, I couldn't be more thankful in, in that regard. That was when we still had assistance with contract tracing. So, you know, we had CDC representatives from epidemiology to be able to get in touch with residents to make sure that all of their close contacts were informed. So um, it really was a great support. You know, we figured out, you know, a good way to kind of just log everything, log the information that they needed shared back and and. So that was that was really a great partnership. I couldn't be more thankful for. And, you know, when this happened, it did. It was on the news. It did kind of become very public. I'm curious how you were able to handle the public perception and make sure. I mean, to some degree, I imagine you had to tune it out and really focus on your facility. But you also did have to manage that public perception and disseminating information to both your residents and to the public. So I'm curious what that was like for you. You know, we we were working closely with our our PR team, Broadreach. They they were they were helpful in so many ways. And, you know, because essentially all of our communications that went out to residents could have easily gone anywhere to any member of the press or any of the like. So, you know, we we were very protective of our residents and that is part of our values. You know, we're committed to safety and we're committed to the, their well-being. And, you know, the owner is, is, you know, was very concerned about, you know, wandering eyes or, you know, curious people. So we literally closed down the road, you know, and you, some of our staff that are in residential positions to sort of man those posts and, you know, keep out people that had no need to be on campus. I think more than anything, we wanted to assure that some bad actors, you know, or, or were, didn't have access to our residents. You know? Yeah, so that, that was the primary importance of that and in ensuring safety that way. And were you sharing information at this point with other senior residential facilities that might be able to learn from the things that worked well and the things that didn't work well and kind of how you all handled the situation? Yes, yes, we did have we did have some calls where people were seeking information and we were more than happy to spend time just talking about, you know, our interactions with the CDC, what they're recommending. So it felt good to be able to think back in that way. Now, we talked about earlier on that you were really only three months into this new role when this all sort of happened. How do you sort of trust in yourself and trust in your team that you guys are making the right decisions when it was really difficult for any of us to know what the right decisions were? 
Good question. Yes. Now, I think, you know, it was, we, we always had great support from the owner, John Wazileski. He always encouraged us to, you know, trust our judgment. He trusted our clinical judgment and insight. And if we felt that being more protective versus less protective was warranted, even going above and beyond what the CDC was advising, then he was fully on board with that. So as the pandemic marched on, we have kept many of our protocols. We're still masking in our common areas. We, you know, developed protocols based on communal spread and based on what's happening with our own internal community, because of course we're our own sort of ecosystem. And even if Cumberland County is low, we may have, you know, we may have a smattering of cases here that we want it to be aware of. So, you know, it was two years in the making, but we finally have sort of a scientific protocol that we're following on a on a week to week basis as to what what level of people we can have unmasked in an activity together. So it it it, it was a long time coming, but again with our fragile population, it's it's necessary to continue to do what we can to make smart choices. Sure. And how about how long was it on that initial outbreak till you guys sort of felt like you had a grasp on it? I would say four to six weeks is the length of time before the initial cases resolve themselves. So, and I'm sure like that four, you know, looking back now, four to six weeks isn't a long time, but when you're in it, that four to six weeks feel yeah. like forever. Yes, it was a, yeah, it was a, 25 something day stretch of working seven days a week. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. And I think it only lasted that long because if you recall in the initial virus, it had a very long incubation period. So it took maybe 10 to 14 days from the time you were exposed to someone for you to develop symptoms. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And did the residents give you any feedback on their? feelings of of confidence in the facility, in the ways that you all reacted to this? Sort of what was the feedback from your residents and or their families? Uh, overwhelming gratitude, really. You know, thankfully, it was mostly all positive. You know, I, I, I can't even, even, even today, you know, a resident just brought me a little token and, you know, thanked me for all that we've done to keep us safe. So, you know, I can't think of one negative comment that we've had. Well, that's wonderful. You had mentioned sort of the ownership being really supportive of your decisions and and the ways that you were approaching supporting the health of your community at Ocean View. And I I had an understanding that there were other things sort of within the community at large that Ocean View was doing to sort of make sure that they were supportive of the community as everything was sort of shutting down as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh yes, thanks. One of the one of the incredible things that the owner did for our vendors, our hairstylists and massage therapists that work within the community that aren't necessarily our employees, but he ensured that they got a weekly paycheck, which was quite a surprise to them and greatly appreciated and and such a thoughtful gesture. But not only you know, so our sort of our internal vendors, but outside organizations, we had our food drives. So the residents the residents did fundraising for the 
found the food pantry and we we matched and the total for that was close to $35,000. We, we sponsored many state music theater and despite the fact that they weren't able to have public shows, we continued with our sponsorship to be able to support them because they still had expenses that were coming in and the same with main opera. So incredibly generous and thoughtful and really important to make sure we're, we're looking after each other in the community. And that was important to, to our owner. So I guess, you know, as we talk about all of these sort of days that change everything, we try to learn from them, right? So I'm curious for you, you know, as someone who had been in the role for a short time, did you, what did you learn about how kind of to get people on your side as opposed to people that might have sort of wanted to do things differently or might not have trusted the person that had only been there for a short period of time and kind of really get everybody rowing the ship in the same direction, as they say. Right, right. Well, I think, you know, availing yourself to people and listening to their concerns, you know, to see what where they're coming from, essentially. And then I think having credibility in terms of the expertise. And that's something that Ocean View has always been committed to is to have a, a high level of expertise and in leadership roles. People did trust us. They trusted our clinical experience. They trusted our ability to make sound decisions. And then they followed the protocols and that's what made us so successful. You know, outside of fear and and you know, perhaps an employee is not wanting to come to work because they just, you know, didn't have the information, didn't have the tools they needed. All of our residents were very compliant. Yeah. So as a leader, sort of looking back on yourself and your expectations coming into the role versus now, you know, two and a half years later, do you think that you're a different leader now than you maybe anticipated you would have been? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question and, and hard to say because your experience does make you, right? So it's hard yeah. to reflect back. But, you know, I always say in many ways, in many ways, I felt more successful because I was dealing with something that, you know, had a medical medical aspect to it. And this was a new role and it's much more about relationships and, and property management and resident relations and overseeing all departments and ensuring that we, you know, maintain excellence in all. So, so in many respects, it, it was, it was an easier transition because all of the other things were sort of put on the back burner. But now, obviously I've had to embrace them all and, you know, that, that has been a challenge, but I think it, it has made me stronger, you know, learning all of those, you know, key, key, key messaging points to be able to bring forward to, to our staff, to our residents, you know, all of those things made me stronger leader. That's great. You mentioned, I hadn't even thought about it. Yeah. In addition to being a medical provider, you're also a landlord and a, you know, you've got to take care of making sure that the lawns are mowed and the driveways are plowed and the sidewalks are shoveled. And like, there's so much other stuff outside of the medical aspects like this, but then there's all of the other stuff involved in it. Yes, it's very much a small town here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're basically like the the mayor of a small town. <laughs> so, just a last question for you today, kind of, uh, what advice do you have for for business leaders, business owners who are sort of 
early into their roles, but find themselves faced with challenging situations right from the start? Well, I, I think um, this is something that I've had to coach myself through many times is to <laughs> take a deep breath and realize that, you know, it's not just you that needs to make this decision. Make sure you reach out to your resources. Make sure you ask, ask others, you know, depend on your team. You know, it really does take a village and getting other people's input and insight and, and knowing that you're not in it alone is, is helpful when, when you're in a crisis. And then I think just ensuring that you have those crisis plans in place. So again, you learn and then, you know, you have a playbook of all of those letters. Yeah, it sounds like that was really important. I mean, obviously we talked earlier, my thought was there is no playbook. You clarified that you all certainly had plans in place. Do you think that you all have taken sort of that playbook, made some tweaks based on the last couple of years and have things that you're going to keep from what you learned out of the situation. You're going to change from what you learned out of the safe situation. Yes, I would. I would say that we have, and, and that was what sort of spurned the the protocols that we have in place now. You know, taking taking all of the information, and it's still ever changing. You know, the variants are you know rapidly changing, becoming more transmissible. But at least we have that framework in place now. This has been a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank. The MainBiz podcast team includes Renee Ortis, Will Hall, Allison Mason, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing design by Matt Selva. Subscribe to the MainBiz podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2022.